You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. Yep, and if you then want to pivot into the the conservative bill. Yep. Cool. So speaking of, uh, you, you know, legacy, I guess, and, and uh, no, you weren't speaking of legacy. Let me try that Sorry again. Sorry about how far we've come. It's the 15th of November, 2017. I'm Benjamin Riley. And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode, we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week, we're responding to the news this morning that the Postal Survey on same-sex marriage has returned a resounding yes result. Just before we get on to that, a little bit of information about our schedule going forward. Next episode, Ben will be doing an interview uh, to try and continue doing some interviews for the podcast. Uh, And then we'll be back into a couple more episodes of regular uh, programming before the Christmas break. And then we'll probably take a break over the Christmas uh, and can be back next year uh, with new content. So the plan is going forward to have two regular episodes and then one interview alternating back and forth. Uh, throughout the year. This is something, uh, as you probably know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, that Simon and I have been wanting to do really since the beginning is include more interviews. And so that's that's how we're going to tackle it. It might change, but that's the, that's the plan for the moment. Well, it's over officially. Today, the Australian Bureau of Statistics released the results of the Postal Survey on Marriage Equality, with the yes vote winning by 61.6 to 38.4%. That means 7,817,247 people voted yes, while 4,873,987 people voted no. If Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull can be trusted, that means that marriage equality legislation should be dealt with by the Parliament before Christmas. It's uh, very specific numbers there, Simon. Now that we are officially at the end of the process, we think it's worth looking back over the campaign a bit. Debate about a plebiscite on marriage equality has gone on for over two years now, so we're likely to be feeling the effects for some time to come. So Ben, maybe let's just start with some immediate reactions. Uh, How are you feeling following the announcement of the result today? Yeah, we should say here that even though this episode's coming out the day after we're recording it, literally hours after uh, after the announcement by the Australian Bureau of Statistics, yeah, it's been a really weird morning. I was... I, I kind of have been expecting that I would have... This might sound strange. Expecting that I would have a stronger reaction to it than maybe I thought that I would, which has sort of happened to me at various points throughout the the campaign where I'm kind of like, I don't care about marriage. I don't care about this at all. And then I just actually find that I do get a bit emotional about things. Um, so, so it was nice to sort of prepare myself for that. And yeah, was was upset, I guess. I mean, obviously glad that it was a yes result, but it's it's weird to I don't know. It's hard to articulate. It's it's been a strange feeling to have to I don't know consider my relationship to this bizarre public debate around an issue that I don't really care about, but also is emblematic of homophobia in Australia and, you know, I'm sort of, yeah, for being forced to consider that and forced to, to engage emotionally with that has been uh, draining. How about you? Yeah, so I was feeling really nervous yesterday. Um, I, you know, that feeling of, of dread that you have where you sort of can feel something, you can't quite explain that feeling of what it is. Um, but I guess I was just, 
I guess just just sort of that anxiety about what the result would be and what the reaction would be. Um, that kind of I've been overly confident, I guess, throughout the whole process that there would be a yes vote, but I had that sort of dread of, of what happens if there isn't uh, yesterday. And then today, this morning, I went to a sort of community picnic uh, down in Canberra, uh, in the city of Canberra, which was this really great thing that I'm really glad I went to. It was a lot of, lots of people I know there, lots of people who I sort of trust and respect, and it was really nice feeling to have lots of people around during during the announcement and during the process. Uh, and there was, you know, people were sort of hushed silence when the when the when the Australian was it the Australian statistician uh, uh, came on and um, did his announcement. And then this huge cheer when the result was announced. And that just felt really good. I guess I'm feeling really good at the moment, um, which is a really nice <laughs> position to be in. Um, and it's just kind of that overwhelming feeling that, you know, that this has been a better process than it potentially could have been, and it and it and, it, and it's had a huge result, and that's a really good thing. Um, I kind of I really appreciate what you're saying about the feeling a little bit as well of almost uh, isolation or um, not yeah sort of alienation from a, from a lot of these processes. And as myself, I've had really complex relationship with this whole process going through thinking, you know, being being less sceptical of the value of this process, uh, thinking that it could actually be quite a positive process if we were to, if, if, you know, queers in that sort of broader sense were to to take it in positive ways and being frustrated at some of the reactions to it, but then also struggling to to respond to those reactions. I For feel sure. Right at this, I almost I've, think that there's like this, this expectation of... Um... Not necessarily a, 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 an articulated expectation, but uh, an implicit one that we have these kind of uh, very clear emotional responses to these things that are like, yeah, this is really great or, or this is awful. And when you have, as I think you and I do, more complex positions on this, it's, it's hard not to feel a bit, yeah, a bit alienated, a bit left out from even the responses from from queer communities at least that's how i feel yeah and you know and for a lot of that it's been sort of um for me it's been watching the response to the very existence of the vote itself has been really alienating in many ways in which i've sort of been felt like i should feel awful almost uh, and have not felt awful and then have felt almost a sense of guilt for not feeling awful about this process or for being able to say or for, or for saying i don't feel awful about this process when people are struggling uh, and I mean, obviously that's sort of, you know, I guess maybe a pretty privileged position to be in, to be like, oh, I'm fine. I'm not feeling awful. Why are you making me feel like I should feel awful when people are are genuinely struggling um, and have genuinely struggled through this process? Uh, but I hope, I hope that the resounding victory will dampen some of those feelings of awfulness over the process and will it will highlight to the community that maybe Australia is a bit more progressive than we thought, uh, which is probably a good thing in the long run. Uh, and... But you know, you know, I still fear that we'll go down and down the down the track, and this will be sort of looked upon as a as a negative thing that occurred rather than as a positive victory that occurred. Uh, and of course, there is nuances between those two extremes. I feel like we're going to be there's a there's a there's a uh, an outcome that says that this is something that we should forget, and this was a, an awful experience. Um, there's the other outcome that says that you know this was just amazing all the way through. I think we want to fall somewhere in the middle of that. I feel like we're going to fall to one of those extremes, and I, I know I worry about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that there are useful things that can come out of this, and and I think that we'll probably talk more about that as we go along. Uh, I wouldn't, I I would find it difficult to agree with you. I think and feel the same way about about this being a really a really positive result. I think it's a 
I mean, it's, it's definitely more positive than a no result would have been, uh, but it but it is, for me, more a kind of... Uh, it gives us useful and interesting information that I hope we will be able to use to achieve positive change, I suppose is, is kind of how I would put it. Yeah, I think that's true, definitely. I mean, I think that, that the existence of the data in the first place is just a good thing, you know, and we can highlight uh, the... I mean, someone I saw someone tweet something that says, you know, this can highlight the parts of Australia where people, queer people might still feel isolated and the parts that, where there is still a, a strong trend, you know, in this case of, of, of opposition to same-sex marriage, but that can highlight broader concerns about the existence of homophobia in particular communities. And the fact that it exists in parts of the country that we might not have expected that it, it had existed. So, you know, someone um, tweeted today that we have two by-elections coming up, one in New England and one in Bennelong, and it was actually Bennelong, you know, inner city Sydney, that voted no while New England voted yes, which, mm. you know, sort of challenges that dynamic, this idea that rural towns are all, you know, conservative bigots and inner city places are all progressives. There are actually some assumptions that we can challenge there, uh, which I think is a good thing and it can highlight, you know, areas where we need to do work, I guess, um, to, to change community attitudes. We have to be really careful about how we interpret this stuff as well. There's uh, a lot of kind of what's being talked about already and and what I suppose I worry the conversation around these results will uh, just intensify uh, on. And it's funny, I've even like, you know, listened to some interviews on on, uh, the ABC where the journalist is kind of clearly trying to like get various commentators to, to pick this thing out. Uh, which is the fact that there's a, a strong correlation of no votes with electorates, um, where there are large populations born in non-English speaking countries, mm. uh, and there's already kind of stuff appearing on social media that's that I would say is quite racist from queers, which which sucks and is is just for me like totally the wrong kind of takeaway from this. I think it it does say a lot about what well a bunch of things. I mean, it's important to remember that that we you know this isn't just about attitudes to same-sex marriage. This is also about what this campaign looked like specifically. There wasn't, I think, a lot of engagement with, I'll use that kind of, you know, imperfect acronym, uh, called communities uh, culturally and linguistically diverse uh, by the YES campaign during, um, over the past couple of months. Whereas there's, there have been a lot of kind of grassroots efforts by no campaigns within those some of those communities uh, there's also not a heap of engagement. There's some, but not a heap of engagement that uh, some of our larger LGBTI organisations do in those sorts of communities because it's seen as too hard or they're not resourced enough to do that. And, and you know, and to be fair, these are, in a lot of cases, some pretty um, significant sort of cultural divides to, to, to have to try to bridge. So I think that, I, or I hope at least, that these this information can be something that points us to what the kind of work we need to do and the kinds of the kind of understanding that we need to be able to create within communities that maybe we haven't done that with before. Yeah, I think to put it simply, you don't respond to a victory against discrimination by attacking a different minority group. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that is something that is already occurring and I that that worries me terribly that the that the message that will come from this is that multiculturalism is bad and that ethnically diverse communities have not integrated into Australia because look and look at this they're 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 the ones that are opposed to same-sex marriage I think that you're right in that we need to be using that data to look at what 
the campaign did, the Yes campaign did, and what it could have done better, and how we can bridge some of those cultural divides. But to sort of have a simple, like, people of colour are clearly all just bigots is going to be, which I think is a narrative that could run out here, that could be played out over the next weeks, is something that we have to resist very strongly because you don't respond to a... You know, you don't respond to a victory over homophobia by engaging in xenophobia uh, because it's, you know, it's just doing the exact same thing. And we as queers should not be doing that in this moment of celebration. Sure. I mean, I don't think we need to justify a racism is bad position. Yeah, I hope not. Um, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, sadly, sometimes you do in queer communities. And Well, it reminds me of the Proposition 8 debate in California where there was this big backlash within some parts of queer communities against African-American communities who were seen to have been a, a significant driver of um, uh, opposition to Proposition 8. But, you know, taking a closer look at the... Sorry, Proposition 8 was um, uh, about uh, specifically... Oh, I always get it mixed up which way around it was. Specifically outlawing... It was specifically outlawing... Specifically outlawing same-sex marriage. That's right. Yeah. Uh, whereas a, a closer look at the at the numbers there showed that it was just like this tiny, you know, that statistically it was this really small impact that those communities had, uh, and it was just a kind of easy narrative for people to go to. And I think also just one one last point on this, I think it will also be worth looking at the data potentially more deeply about why those Western Sydney electorates, electorates voted no. Even if there is a higher correlation between those electorates and people who were born overseas, that does not necessarily mean that they are all the ones who voted no in those electorates. Yes, yeah, exactly. You know, it can have, it could have been white working class people, for example, or white conservatives in those areas who also had a major role in those electorates, just as white people had a major role in the no campaign overall. Uh, so we, you know, we have to be very careful of just going, well, it's all the ethnic minority, you know, let's blame ethnic minorities or, or people from culturally and linguistically diverse communities, because the data, you know, correlation doesn't automatically mean causation. But also, and the other point is you can't just lump everybody together in that kind of way and say that people from culturally and linguistically diverse communities, because of these electorates, are clearly, you know, the problem here, you know, putting the problem in an inverted commas there, um, because, you know, they're not a homogenous group either. So there's some work that might need to be done in those electorates and in, in, in bridging those cultural divides, but we can't just lump everybody into the same basket. Sure, sure. I mean, look for complexity always. Exactly. I think it's a good rule of thumb. I think it's a good message of our podcast overall. <laughs> Like so. so, Ben, one of the things I was interested in is we recorded an episode, it's like it feels like a couple of months ago now, probably. Yeah, sort almost of right, was, at the, yeah. right at the start of this process. Um, and, you know, we've both been a bit, a little bit sceptical while we were in that, in that podcast about the idea that this would be an extremely bad experience for queer people, that this would be a sort of overly hurtful thing. And we, we spoke about how this might be, provide a unique opportunity to fight against homophobia in our community. Do you think queers actually took that opportunity or, or did we not? I think we absolutely did. I think the efforts of the Yes campaign have been really quite phenomenal. I mean, there have been uh, problems with it, and, and you and I have... We talked a bit in that episode about issues that we've had about, I guess, how it's it's looked at some of the, the higher levels of it, that it's been quite sanitised, uh, and that there's been this, uh, I guess, like, attitude this really kind of negative attitude within within some parts of the community responding to this. But I think that that's very much the minority and, and perhaps kind of looks bigger than it is because those voices are amplified on, on social media. But in terms of people who are actually out on the streets campaigning, which I think potentially those are not often the same people, the people yep. who are shouting about this and the people who are actually kind of boots on the ground. 
I mean, I think having like thousands of people walking around suburbs door knocking and asking people if they support marriage equality is phenomenal. You know, like that's that's like clearly even just the idea of forcing people to consider these issues, uh, you know, beyond the extent to which they already are by getting the survey is is great. And I like I, I really think I, I'm just firmly not of the opinion that the like whilst the almost 40% no vote is, is probably higher than I was expecting. I, I, I don't think that that's been created by this survey. I, I, fir- I firmly think that that is exposing something that, that was already there. And that by and large, we have used this survey as an opportunity to address homophobia where we have seen it. Yeah, I agree, actually. I was thinking about this a little bit because I, uh, I guess, was sceptical of, of a lot of the way that those sort of big marriage organisations approached this campaign both in, in the lead-up to it and actually in parts during it, and we spoke about this at, the, at that episode, of quite a sanitised version of of a campaign that sort of really focused on sort of a whole... It was, you know, based in respectability politics of... And we saw that in the, in the first ads that came out, that, that ad about from GetUp, which we spoke about in that campaign, about how, you know, children learn their values from their mum and dad and that's why we're voting yes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I think if you look at sort of the, underneath that, what I've noticed is a lot of sort of community engagement, you know, and I mm. noticed that in my community, I, no, I noticed my friends doing small things to involve themselves in the process in different kinds of ways. So, you know, in my office, office we had a sort of yes, vote yes party, for example, which was a really nice thing to do where people came out and, and sort of supported each other and we voted yes collectively. Were you just like publicly that. shamed the one person in the office who was voting no? Was that well, the... I, don't, I, work in the <laughs> ANU, I work in the ANU School of Sociology. I very much doubt sure. it was anybody, but <laughs> no. Sure. Say no more. Um, but, but, and, and those little things were occurring across the country, you know, and it wasn't just occurring in my highly progressive, you know, workplace. It was occurring in rural towns. It was occurring in the suburbs. There were lots of different things that were going on. And I think that that's actually a really valuable thing. Totally. Uh, I I was going to say, I saw a lot of that stuff as well. And, and I, I, and that's, yeah, I found that so heartening. I didn't, I think. I did this after we recorded that episode that we're talking about, but I, I went out and, and door knocked one weekend for for the kind of official yes campaign. And honestly, I, I, I was a bit disheartened by the whole experience in, in some ways. I found it very, um, well, I don't know, like hacky, I guess. It was it was just sort of a, you know, it was very... The, the organisers as a group of people very much just seemed like uh, Greens and kind of Labour stalwarts. Uh, who'd done a lot of these sorts of campaigns before, and it felt like the campaign could have just been anything. You know, we were just kind of going around to knock on people's doors and go... Very slick operation. Very slick. And, you know, just basically saying, do you agree with issue X? Uh, Have you done, you know, X, Y, Z? Okay, yes, no, let's move on to the next one. I found it, like, quite impersonal and and was a bit... um, Yeah, it was kind of down after it, but, but I think that... Yeah, like you're saying, that's not representative of the real sort of breadth of things that people have been doing throughout this campaign and how much there's been going on of just people talking to their friends, talking to their communities, talking to their families in ways that aren't just kind of mediated by this uh, official yes campaign. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I saw a lot of social media posts and, and, and think, so, you know, we've spoken about how social media isn't really representative here. But you did, I did see quite a few of those posts or those think pieces about like the awful thing about this is it's going to mean that vulnerable queer people are going to have to talk to their families, are going to be forced to talk to their families about same-sex marriage and what if they find out that you know their, their parents are voting no and how awful that would be. 
and I and I, and I sort of appreciated that. But I think the 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 inverse of that is actually that forcing those conversations is actually a good thing, and that having a national debate forced people to have conversations about this issue and then forced them to listen to people who may have had a different approach to them. And even if that occurs in just a short period of time in which you're, you have a conversation, a difficult conversation with your parents about why voting yes is important, but you sort of help them change their mind, that kind of stuff is actually really important and it brings it out into the open. It means that people are actually discussing it rather than just having those sorts of views and sort of hiding them away or not, or not saying anything about them. And there's sort of this sort of almost a taunt about, you know, in which people know that those views exist, but there's nobody discussing it. And so I think there is yeah. value in those, those day-to-day conversations ha- happening, even if they're difficult. And yeah, you know, I mean, need- I, I agree. I think it's, it's hard. It's hard if you're like, Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Literally a child, oh, I think, absolutely, and, yeah, and yeah. don't have you know, like, like, can't sort of remove yourself from that situation if it creates something really bad. But at the same time, I like, I think, like, most young people, I this was certainly my experience, probably have a pretty good sense of how their parents or their family are gonna react to this stuff. I mean, you know, like, it's not like it's not like queerness doesn't come up you know, in one way or another, even if it wasn't for a, a going through a process like this. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I agree with you. And I think that there is a, there is a difference between the sort of the, the literal, the people who are literally children who, um, who are sort of stuck in those situations and can't engage in those sorts of discussions. I guess I was reacting to a lot of the reactions from people who were writing articles and who are adults and saying, this is awful because I'm going to have to discuss this with my family. And I'm like, well, as adults, we can actually engage in these conversations, have support networks to help us engage with these sure, conversations. Sure. And I think that those support networks actually came out very strongly. I was kind of worried that those support networks would not come out strongly strongly during this process but they did so and it was that was really valuable a whole a very valuable part of the entire process but there was yeah and and to the to the yes campaign's credit they've put a lot of effort into uh a a friend of mine actually works for the campaign and he works specifically on like connect like working with mental health organizations to to ensure that that support is there uh, so it is something that they've that they've taken really seriously. Yeah, and it, and it happened not, and, uh, and though that stuff is really important. And I was involved. Um, I'm a member of the LGBTIQ Ministerial Advisory Council in the ACT, uh, and here the the sort of the ACT government actually funded extra support for extra money for the. Um, for the major queer organisations in Canberra to provide that mental health support during this process. And I think that that was really important and I'm glad that they did that. But I think that also I had a friend, for example, who um, who's queer and actually was the one who organised this breakfast, this sort of um, morning tea I went to today 
but a number of weeks ago, she and her partner uh, were engaged, did, did like a weekend of like letter writing to people. So they wrote, they sat down and wrote letters and sent them to queer friends to tell them that they support them and that they're strong and all that kind of stuff. And those kind of little day-to-day support stuff I thought was really was really nice to, to, as well. And I saw that happening quite frequently of, you know, people who people who were queer and who knew the other people, were, uh, you know, that their friends were queer, reaching out to them and saying, hey, are you doing okay? You know, here's some, you know, I had a little a bit with a friend where we were sending each other some great gay pop songs during the process to, sure. keep, each other, to keep each other going. And that stuff was really nice. Um, I had one other thing to say. You sort of mentioned this sort of four, it was something like four million people who voted no, four, four million eight hundred thousand people who voted no. And, you know, I think that it's important as well that we think about the fact that four, four, four million eight hundred thousand people voted no, which is still quite a lot of people across it the is, country. yeah. There's a couple of things. Obviously, that highlights to me that there is work to be done in terms of um, homophobia in our society. And it highlights that homophobia is still real. And I think, if anything, this debate has highlighted that homophobia is still definitely real in our society. And it's still, it's not just under the surface, but it's, you know, out in the open. And it was out in the open in this process. And I think that that's a really important thing to recognise. I think the other thing to recognise, however, as well is... I was thinking about how far we've come as well, and I think the vote highlights how far we've come. I was thinking about the fact that it was just over 20 years ago in, in 1997 that Tasmania became the last state in the country to decriminalise homosexuality. And there was it was quite a contentious issue at that point in time, and there was polling in, in a number of the sort of more rural parts of that state that said that you know people were still very much in favour of de- the criminalisation of homosexuality. And now, 20 years later, if all five of Tasmania's electorates voted yes, there was uh, Tasmania was one of the strongest states to vote yes, actually. It was something like 60... It was over the national average. And so I think that it's also worth reflecting on thinking about how far we've come. Um, you know, if you were to have this vote five five years ago, you would have had significantly more than 4 million people voting no, I think. Um, and if you had it 10 years ago, I think it would have been a majority of people voting no. So I think that it's also, you know, we've got to sort of be able to do the reflection on how much work we've got to do whilst also reflecting on how far this issue has come. And we can do both of those things at the same time and and sort of show that we've do, there's been a lot of progress on issues of homophobia in our society whilst also thinking about the fact that there's still a lot more work to do. Sure. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's a nice little simple simple response. I like that. Speaking of uh, reflecting on this, I guess, and, and, and thinking about how far we've come, I think, you know, I'm really interested in this question of how this will be considered in the future, you know, that something like the 196, I want to say 67 referendum on... Um, yes, it was, this, was, this was the 50th anniversary this year. Uh, on including Indigenous people uh, in having them counted in the census... You know that that's considered this really kind of watershed moment in in progressive politics in Australia, and you know I I wonder yeah I don't know it's an interesting question to me whether this will be the same I think that I can already see just the seeds of people really doubling down on on the harm of of this postal vote process and and of the campaign and and you know I I I wonder whether that's my suspicion is that that will be the kind of takeaway from from this, uh, that once marriage equality is legislated, this will be seen purely as something that didn't need to happen, that just hurt everyone and, you know, was irrelevant to the uh, eventual legislation of, of marriage equality in Australia. So, yeah, I think, 
I suspect that that's where how this narrative will be shaped and 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 what its legacy will end up being, even if I, you know, don't think that that's maybe what it should be. I think you're potentially right. Uh, I, I think there's going to actually be competing narratives about it because I think that there definitely will be the narrative that you've spoken about. I think the potential as well is that based on the result today and the sort of celebrations and the public celebrations we've seen today and that I think we're going to likely see throughout the rest of the day and the public celebrations we'll probably see when the bill eventually gets passed in the next com- in the coming weeks that this might well, be Well maybe as, uh, it's it's worth saying that we have absolutely no idea what you know what a marriage bill is even going to look like let alone when when it when or whether it's going to pass I mean you know fingers crossed but but who knows really yeah, that's true. I mean, that's and I think point. that the longer that process goes on, the more negatively people will reflect on the postal vote campaign. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. So I think maybe maybe I should qualify my statement. I think if we see marriage equality legislation pass in the coming week or coming, you know, is as soon as possible, and it, that that it looks like some sort of version of the bill proposed by the Liberal Senator Dean Smith, then then we will see quite some positive potential, some positive narratives that come from this whole process. That says, and that's and that's the bill that everyone's pretty happy with. The, the yes side is happy with, you know, even even most of the um, the members of the Liberal Party in Parliament are happy with this one, and certainly the the Labor Party is. The, La- the Labor Party has said that they support it, and that's that they've sort of said that that's the bill that they want to push forward. And Malcolm Turnbull has come out in the in the past couple of days saying that it's it forms a strong basis of a bill uh, to move forward. So I think that it is it is the one that will likely so even be that used. is like weaselly language that I could, know that could lead to anything. I know absolutely, and it, it's just it sort of highlights how weak he is to me that he can't even just say this is the bill that it should be. It's sort of he's he's trying to play both sides there. Um, but I think you know I think if 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 that gets passed relatively soon, I think there's a potential of an alternative narrative that highlights this as sort of being a watershed moment, a moment similar to what happened in Ireland a couple of years ago when there was such a big, a, a, such a big win, there were public celebrations. It sort of created the potential for momentum and for, for change. And, and I think that there's a way, you know, from my perspective, I, that's the kind of narrative I want to see, not as a way to hide the harms that occurred here. And I think it's worthwhile still engaging in that discussion. Um, and sort of recognising that the difficulties of this process, but also because I think there's a potential that if we see this as a big win, it has a potential to sort of create momentum that can create momentum against homophobia, I guess, that create momentum in tackling homophobia in our society, highlight using this as a way to highlight that homophobia still exists. But, you know, if we see this as a big victory sort of as a, as a positive way to say that, look, we need to continue to do, do this kind of work rather than seeing this as a sort of time that we need to forget. You know, we, we finally got there, but let's forget it and move on. We could say, let's incorporate this into a narrative of, of sort of progress overall, which is, you know, a narrative that I'm a bit sceptical of is sort of, you know, their sort of natural progression towards to, towards justice. Um, but I think that it can be useful in that kind of way. Um, but that you know that depends, I guess, very strongly on on what happens in the coming days and the coming weeks. Mm. I mean, we just talked about the legislation as well. I mean, the the conservatives have uh, conservative parts of the Liberal Party have come out with their own legislation, which is sort of chock full of it's so um, crazy, <laughs> chock full of um, you know things that allow you know to to protect religious freedoms. You know, I, let's it might be worth talking about that. And I want to think about how we should react to this, and you know, what should we be doing in response to this i feel like there's a real potential that that after this vote and we'll see what happens in the next coming days that after the sort of overwhelming victory that that legislation might just die quietly and you'll have a few conservatives like tony abbott erica betts Corey bernardi try and push that very strongly Uh, but there's a very good chance that it will just go nowhere 
um, and that we should just let it go nowhere. Um, and oh, absolutely. Sort of show it to be the, ridiculous. I think that the um, the religious freedoms thing is such a furphy, in my opinion. I, I think that as soon as we start debating this on t- terms that imagines that imagine that this is actually what protecting religious freedom looks like, because it's not. We've we've lost, you know. We we like I I just firmly think we have to treat this as ridiculously as it is. You know, this is not. And the thing is that like religious freedom is a, is a real thing, and this is something we've talked about on the podcast before. It is something that should be protected. Legislating the right for people to discriminate against minorities is not religious freedom. I mean, that's just not what it is, and and that's not what's under a, religious freedom is not under attack in that way. With, with the passage of any form of, uh, or with the, the passage of any sort of pro- actually proposed form of a marriage equality bill that's that's on the table or being discussed, I think we're super lucky in the fact that the bill is so ridiculous um, and that the defence of it has been so ridiculous. So uh, James Patterson, the person, the Liberal senator who who sort of drafted the bill, uh, was asked whether you would this bill would allow businesses to put up signs that say no gays. Uh, in in their windows, um, and which which is sort of a reference back to sort of uh, the Jim Crow laws in the United States, in which people you know um, businesses put up signs that said no blacks in their windows and yeah, you know, to yeah. stop to stop service of of of, of African Americans in the United States. And he responded something along the lines of, "No, this bill wouldn't allow people to put up no gays in their windows, but they would be allowed to put up no gay weddings in their windows." Um, and that this was sort of a weird <laughs> delineation that he had that this was somehow different, but this is. But protecting religious freedom was about allowing people not to be engaged in gay weddings whilst and that that doesn't mean discrimination against gay people and it just it just becomes this weird ridiculous no my um, think my favorite thing in there was that you would be defined as victimizing a person on the basis of their views if you make a complaint about discriminatory service to the Australian Human Rights Commission. It's just like, what, yeah, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> like, and, and, and the other one with that, um, I think that it banned, it made it illegal to fire people based on their views on same-sex marriage um, while still allowing people to fire people based on their sexuality, um, you know, it, allowing religious organisations to fire people based on their sexu- sexuality and this sort of strange... You know this totally, which again, that. to be extremely clear, is still legal in Australia. Yes, that's yes, yeah, very still, very much still legal, and and very much still supported by both our major parties. Um, but so, but going back to that, I think that you're right, and the, the way to deal with this is just to show it to be ridiculous, and to show that using this vote to say this is not supported by the vast majority of the Australian population. This is not. This is both ridiculous and it's not supported, um, and therefore it should just die quietly and it should go nowhere. And it's not uh, even... It, I'd be surprised if it's even supported by the majority of Christians in Australia. Like, it's so... It's just kind of so nuts. Every Christian I know who, who I've ever had a conversation with about, you know, marriage equality or religious freedoms or anything like that, it just, you know, you, you very quickly get the sense that uh, these kind of, uh, you know, nut jobs, if I can... Say that, like Erica Betts are just completely out of step with, you know, the people that they claim to represent, let alone the rest of Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so maybe to wrap up then, marriage equality has dominated the debate on queer issues for well, what since 2004, really, when when the John Howard changed the legislation in the first place. We're looking like the issue is going to be dealt with most likely by the end of this year. Um, what's next? Uh, I really, really hope it's not 
trans bathroom stuff as it kind of became in the US. And like, I, I just would, maybe I'm giving Australia too much of the benefit of the doubt, but I would just like hope that we're not, you know, dumb and mean enough to make that our next issue. Cause it just is so kind of horrible and seems so far beyond It's just, like, so much worse than anything that's really seriously in the public debate around uh, queer issues in Australia at the moment. So, I hope it's not that. I hope, and I think that there's a pretty good chance that it will be religious exemptions to anti-discrimination law in Australia, which which are still uh, a big problem. And, you know, again, kind of conservatives have, through this process, not put back on the table, but but put back into the the public consciousness that this is a that this is a problem um so that's kind of something concrete that i you know obviously like you know in an ideal world it would all just be like queers getting together and smashing the state but that's clearly not going to happen so this so this is like the more realistic ask that i that i think could actually happen is is the community getting together to seriously go we need to um roll back these exemptions yeah, I think that's really a good um, good next step, I guess. And <laughs> I agree, it'd be nice if we could just, you know, just smash the state and that would be fun. But we, you know, want to take take baby steps, I guess, towards that end goal. <laughs> uh, I think one, one thing that we have the real potential here, I, I, I agree that I worry that this could, you know, the next thing that occurs, we could see further attacks from conservatives leading to things like debates on, on um um, trans people using bathrooms, which would would be awful. Um, and oh, because there was some, actually that was another thing that was in the James Patterson bill was something about um, a protected view being a person being able to act on their belief that a person's gender identity is different to what they say their gender identity is. So it's like it's another kind of really intense thing where people can basically just deny a person's trans status. So that is like. You know, that is the very kind of early seeds of, of this sort of stuff, I think. Mm. And I suspect it is something that conservatives will try and use time again, time again. You know, we saw it in the safe schools debate that they that that was really ended up being an attack on trans kids. We saw it during this debate that it was an attack on they, they, they used trans issues as a way to try and um, push for a no vote here. And I do worry that that they will come again and that this is going to be an issue that will appear again and again. Um, and I hope that maybe moving away from, you know, focusing on marriage equality within the sort of queer communities broadly, that it will allow give space in queer communities to be discussing trans issues a bit more in depth and to be discussing also issues for intersex people. I think one, one big issue that is on my mind frequently is the um, forced sterilisation of intersex people that is still, you know, has been described as a major human rights issue that still occurs in Australia and is something that is grossly under-discussed. Under yeah, underrated. totally. God, any chance we get to, to, you know, plug that as an issue on this podcast, I think we should take. Yes, yeah. And so that's something that's really important to me uh, and that I think that we should be talking about and that if we want to sort of be a broad queer community, we something we certainly cannot ignore any further uh and we really need to be sort of driving that agenda forward it's had some had some um some coverage in the in the past year or so and it's there's been some momentum around that and i think that should something we should be continuing forward i think the one value of of this vote in particular and thinking about this compared to the u.s situation is that what i do hope is that because of the public engagement in this debate it will mute some of the conservative attacks at least maybe in our media, who will sort of 
you know, we've seen a lot of coverage, for example, of Tony Abbott's, um, at, you know, statements over the past, you know, eight weeks. So every time he says something about this, he sort of is a front headline in, in, in most of our newspapers. And part of me hopes that maybe that will die down now, given such a big, so there's, given there's been such a big vote in favour of this and because of the public involvement, which was different to the US in which, you know, that this was decided by the Supreme Court. Which yeah, sure. marriage was decided by the Supreme Court. So that there was still this sort of contestation there that sort of placed... Um, anti-same-sex marriage people on par with same-sex marriage people because they were able to argue that it was decided by a, a sort of group of elites who were disconnected from the rest of the population. I think it'll be harder for them to make that argument here very clearly because of the vote, and that maybe will have an impact in the future on these issues and will mean that when they do try and come out on trans people using bathrooms, for example, there'll be less public appetite or get, or at least less media appetite for that given this given what's occurred over the past eight weeks or so. Uh, that's maybe a hopeful thought. Yeah, I, I wonder... No I'm, I'm not so sure about that. I, I have, you know, Lyle Shelton, sorry, what, uh, the leader essentially of the, the No campaign during the postal vote has, you know, already been really using the language today of now we have numbers on the the number of people who who voted no for this that's a really significant minority blah 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 blah, blah. Mm-hmm. um so i think that that could kind of go either way um particularly w- with the you know the media's kind of obsession with the salacious nature of the no campaign as they have had over the yeah. past couple of months maybe maybe my belief is just sheer hope rather than um <laughs> rather not, than a bad, actual- not a bad thing but um, let's, let, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm in a good mood today, so I'm going to stick with my hope. Um, <laughs> good, see what do happens, it. See what happens in a few weeks' time. Uh, so we have run out of time, unfortunately, for listener questions today, but please do send us uh, your questions to queerspodcast at gmail.com or via our Facebook and Twitter accounts, which are both at queerspodcast. You can also get in touch with us on our personal social media accounts, I'm at Simon Copland on Twitter, and Ben is at Ben C. Riley on Twitter, and I'm at Simon Copland Writer on Facebook. You can find episodes of our podcast on our website, queers.podomatic.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, where you should review and rate us. Thanks, as always, to Earbuds, the podcast network that hosts us here. They are really great, and you should check out all of their other shows. And as always, make sure you tell a friend about our podcast because telling friends is the best way to sort of for people to hear about us um, and we'd love it if uh, you could tell your friends and then more people come and come and listen to our show. Thanks as always for listening and we will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com.